God leads us now to the time of, of fellowship through his word. Psalm 31, 13 through 15 says, For I have heard the slander of many. Terror is on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. I, uh, I read this portion this morning in, in preparing for worship. You know, Greg's the one who does the bulletins, and sometimes I look at the verses that he selected and I say, why did he select this verse? Um, what does this have to do with fellowship? But every time, as I dig a little deeper, I realize, at least I think I come to, to, to Greg's mind and realize that this is a passage about fellowship. And if you look at verse 14, it says, But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. That at the heart of the covenants and in, in throughout all of Scripture is that God would be our God, we would be his people. And that is what we are going to do now as we feast upon his word. We are going to commune with him as our God. So listen now to the words of your God as Pastor Eric comes and proclaims the word to you now. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's a pleasure to be here, and I, I thank you so much for the session for allowing uh, Greg and I to exchange pulpits after a long presbytery meeting. And I, I, I brought with me some Brazilians to uh, enjoy the worship, uh, join the worship with us today. And we are glad that uh, although you know, I don't know if you have been in someone else's house trying to cook your own meal uh, without knowing the kitchen, you know, where to find the things. And, and that's how we feel sometimes when we go to another church. But uh, the food, the meal is the same, the gospel. Amen? So would you turn uh, with me in the gospel of Mark? I'm working at Parker Hill through the gospel of Mark right now. And uh, for the last few weeks, we uh, saw to um, perhaps the, the, the most uh, unique miracles that only Mark recorded. And, and today we'll be looking at one of, the, uh, of those, uh, uh, Mark chapter 8, um, only recorded by Mark. And together, these two miracles, the, the deaf man with a, a sort of a speech impediment, and the blind man, you're not going to find in any other uh, gospel. Um, and that should pause us to, to, to ask ourselves why only Mark records uh, this miracle. So together uh, with the healing of the deaf man, they only uh, preserved uh, by Mark. But the healing we'll see today uh, among all the miracles in the gospel of Mark, and perhaps all the Gospels, uh, it is very unique because it's the only healing that takes place in two stages. It doesn't happen immediately, as we're going to see this morning, like the miracle of the deaf man or the bleeding woman uh, in chapter 5 or Jairus' daughter. This one 
it seems that intentionally, as we're going to see, Jesus does in two phases. So after recording Jesus' uh, feeding, I'm just going to give a, a little background here. If you, you see that in the previous chapter, after feeding again the multitude of people, uh, 4,000 more specifically, and despite the disciples' unbelieving words, See then chapter 8, verse 4. How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? So those words here, uh, they are regarded about the miracle of the 4,000. But they already had saw before Jesus feeding 5,000. But they are, they are again struggling to understand Jesus, his mission, his power. So after recording Jesus rebuking the Pharisees for, for their demands for a sign while rejecting God's greatest sign of all, that is Jesus. So in one side we saw the disciples struggling with Jesus' power, identity. And then we, we see the, the Pharisees struggling as well with Jesus, asking him, hey, can you give us another sign? I mean, they, both of these groups just sound like us. We are not different from them. Unfortunately, welcome to the club. So, so here we, we have the Pharisees struggling with Jesus. Can you give another sign? Well, he's a sign. Me, the son of, son of God. Like uh, the... The author of Hebrews says, Long ago, at many times, and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he, spoke, he has spoken to us by his son. What else you need? And now, we are in a bad spot. Let's be uh, honest with the Pharisees and the disciples. After the cross, after Jesus' resurrection... Things became so clear. And here we are, struggling just like them. So after recording as well, Jesus uh, exhorting the twelve who continue to show themselves insensitive to his person, to his word. And why do they continue to show themselves insensitive to Jesus' person, word? After so many miracles. Isn't because of their hearts, their unbelieving hearts, which is equal to his spiritual blindness and deafness? So, verse 18, 17 and 18 and 21 describes, they describe this. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? And that was just after feeding 4,000 people. Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes you do not see? Having ears do you not hear? Do you not remember? Do you not understand? So they were so insensitive because they, they have an unbelieving heart. Now, Unbelieving heart does not equal not being converted. Okay? 
Because even though they have unbelieving hearts, they were still following Jesus. Now, Jesus also said that Pharisees had unbelieving hearts, but they were rejecting Jesus. And that's why I titled the sermon today, A Gradual Spiritual Understanding. Because what we're going to see here, and what we have seen uh, from the last previous miracle, is that there is a path for Christianity, for Christian faith. We move from, from non-understanding, misunderstanding, and complete understanding. And of course, on the other side of the glory, a perfect understanding. And that the struggle that Jesus is showing that the disciples have by doing these miracles. So let's go to our text, beginning in verse uh, 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him, to Jesus, a blind man, and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had, had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus let his hand on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And Jesus, he, and he sent he to his town, saying, Do not even enter the villages. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word, we acknowledge our blindness, our deafness, I will struggle to understand your word. And we beg you, like these people who brought the, the, the blind man, please open up our eyes by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, for two years, I was, uh, I was working for YWAM and in Sao Paulo City. And we had this mission, uh, urban mission school that we'd, we would take... Uh, specifically about evangelism, and we would take uh, the, the people from the church to do evangelism at night. And there was this uh, deacon from the church, very uh, excited about sharing the gospel. But he, but he met a guy, and he tried to uh, give this uh, flyer track to this man, and the man said to him, I don't know how to read. And the deacon uh, kept saying, yeah, but take it home and read, and the Lord's going to talk to you. Yeah, but I don't know how to read. Yeah, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to talk to you. Take the track, read the track. And the guy, I don't know how to read. And I said, man, I'm not listening to what he's saying. He doesn't know how to read. Why don't you read the track for him? So, I was working through this passage here. I see the struggle that this blind man... And just as the deaf man had in the previous miracle, but what strikes me is how Jesus approached our lives, understanding our limitations. In verse 22, uh, as I mentioned back in verse 18, we learned that Jesus had already crossed with his disciples 
to the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and more specifically to Bethsaida, a small fishing town. Um, and as often happens, the healing is initiated by friends, right? And or relatives who bring the afflicted person to Jesus. We saw that in chapter 1, and, and again chapter 2, chapter 6, and chapter 7, over and over again, people bringing uh, uh, the afflicted person to Jesus. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him, to Jesus, a blind man. And, but the question, who are these people? People who most likely have heard or testify to Jesus' compassion and power for sure. And the town, the city of Bethsaida, was near to the place where Jesus fed the 5,000 people, plus men, plus women and children. It was also the city of Philip, Andrew, and Peter. So they may have heard the radical change in these disciples' life as they follow Jesus. Now, this is the first time in Mark's gospel of a blind man being uh, brought to Jesus for healing. And the second one will be in chapter 10. And you can see that the people who brought the blind man expect Jesus to, to heal him by a touch. Because at this point, Jesus has been already identified by his healing touch, right? Chapter 1, uh, we see that as well, Jairus' daughter. He, even by people touching him, the bleeding woman. So there was some understanding that, yes, if we bring, Jesus, bring our friend, his, uh, the blind man, and Jesus touch him, or someone touched Jesus, you're going to get what you want. And that's why uh, the people are begging Jesus. And, and the word here, the Greek word, is that is in the present tense. They were continually imploring uh, Jesus to, to touch the man in healing. Now, since it will be hard for the blind man to touch Jesus, they brought the man. To Jesus, right? I mean, how in the world you expect to, to, to have a blind man to really approaching Jesus? And now, let me pause here and ask you: For those who were not brought up in a Christian family, did not have the opportunity, the privilege to being born in a Christian family, I guess we have a couple of people here. How did the Lord? Bring you to him. I don't know if you still remember. If you're not a Christian, not brought up in a Christian family, I guess someone prayed for you. I guess someone uh, got you by hand and led you to Jesus. Right? Or you just realized that I need Jesus, you know. No one came to you saying nothing. No one was praying for you. And suddenly, because you're so good, yeah, I want Jesus. I'm a sinner. No. Someone, even for those uh, who have been uh, raised in a Christian family, your parents are praying for you. Your parents are teaching you about the gospel. 
You need someone. So, and that's the beauty of these uh, uh, friends bringing the blind man. Because they're also sensitive about this man's physical limitation. And the question is, are we? Do you understand that people who are struggling and they don't want, they don't want Jesus, they have some spiritual limitation. They need your prayer. They need the gospel. They need you to grab them gently, of course, not by their neck. Or, but uh, they, you need to understand. You need to be sensitive. You need to understand that sometimes they don't, they're not going to listen to you. They're going to reject you. But I have learned that once the grace found me, I'll keep seeking for others. It is impossible for those who have been reached by God's grace not being seeking for others. That's the automatic response by God's grace. So are you aware that people... That they need, they are not aware, of course, that they need Jesus. But are you aware that they need Jesus? It is one thing for your neighbor to say, ah, I don't need Jesus. And you say, yeah, of course, you don't need, you're so bad. That's why they need Jesus. So, as we see in the gospel, the majority of the people that came to Jesus was brought by Someone, some family members, some friends. Relationships matter when it comes to evangelism and church growth. The good news is so good unless, until you show up in your relationship and really disclose that. Because people are blind and they have limitations. So are you sensitive about the people around you? Are you sensitive not only about their physical, but spiritual limitation? They are not coming if you you don't go there. They don't understand that they need Jesus. You yourself, sometimes, you don't understand how much you need Jesus. And how in the world an unbelieving person will understand that. And then we'll see again Jesus' response reveals his extraordinary care and sensitive to individuals in their needs. Look at that, verse 23. And he, Jesus, took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Now, you're a blind person, right? So put yourself in a man's shoes. You'd be freaking out if someone taught you without knowing how to touch you. But Jesus comes and takes the man by the hands and starts leading the man outside the village. And the man trusted Jesus. We don't see a dialogue here. But first of all, Jesus establishes a personal contact with the blind man by, by taking him by the hands. And how... Significant Jesus' touch was for this blind man. Jesus' touch meant more than words. The physical contact would be especially important for a blind man's confidence in Jesus' healing method later. 
because that would be a very weird, strange method. Splitting people's eyes? I don't think we're, we're going to do that nowadays. So Jesus takes the man by the hands. Now, Jesus' gesture would recall the Old Testament theme that God himself would lead his people by hands. Isaiah 41, 13, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. Jeremiah 31, verse 32, Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when they took, I took them by the hand to bring them out the land of Egypt. So here's Jesus performing what only God can do to take us by hands and lead us. Now, although someone led the man to Jesus, now it is Jesus that takes the lead. He leads the man personally. Meaning, yes, you're going to Share the gospel or you're going to teach the gospel to your kids. But guess what, kids? One day, you had to take Jesus by hand. That's what we call professional faith. It is your time now to say, thanks, mom and dad, but I want to be led by Jesus now. There has to be a point in your life that you're going to take that personal choice and start leading, being led by Jesus. But someone has to bring people to Jesus. They're not coming. They won't come. But the man, again, he trusted Jesus. He accepted the leadership of Jesus. And that's what we call discipleship. If people in the Reformed Church, they are scary about the word evangelism, discipleship, is even more terrifying. I mean, are you, I, I, that's what I was, I was saying in my church back in Michigan. Are you scared by evangelism? How much more discipleship? Because evangelism is saying about what Jesus said. Now, discipleship is living out what Jesus said. That's way more scary. Because now it's about you showing how to live the gospel. As I read a magazine from Africa, yes, you brought us Jesus, but you're not taught, you have not taught us how to live like Jesus. So that's the aim of discipleship. And Jesus brings the man outside the village, away from the crowd. Perhaps Jesus wanted the man to be entirely undisturbed. Perhaps Jesus wants to prevent some uh, unnecessary excitement from the town. Perhaps Jesus knew his personality. You know, this guy's more introverted person. I I'm going to take him out outside, you know, in a quiet place. It's amazing how Jesus knows us. If it was Peter, yeah, doing the middle of the crowd, Peter, you know. But this guy, Jesus... It seems that Jesus knows his personality. Jesus knows that doing publicly 
would hurt him just as his disease, his blindness, is, is hurting him for years. So Jesus took the man outside the village to a place where they could be quiet together. Now, wouldn't you dearly love to know what passed between Jesus and this man as they walk out of the village? The conversation. How Jesus kept building his trust at the points of the man will accept Jesus splitting his eyes. Now, let me be honest here. We do accept God's grace, but we struggle on how God wants to reveal your grace to us. We do accept God's love and mercy, but we struggle on how God wants to show those principles to us. If Jesus had said to you, you know, I'm going to speak in your eyes. Oh, oh, but that's so offensive. But guess what? It is my grace to you, my love. No, sorry. No, no. no. I, I, I want my way. You know? I know. I want my way. Splitting my eyes? I want that way, Lord. I want to see your grace like this and like that. At that time in my life, this is how I want my, my wedding, my marriage, my school, my, you know. The man, the blind man just trusted. Just trusted. I trust you, Jesus. Whatever you want to do with my life, I trust you. Do we? Do we believe that cancer can be employed by God? To show his amazing love in a way that you could never grasp, feel. If God has given you millions and millions of dollars. We do struggle. Now, being a blind man almost is it's almost equal to being an outcast, socially speaking. Remember, being a blind man was a sign of God's curse. You may remember the disciples. When they found this person was born, born blind, the disciples were struggling. Who have seen here? The man, the parents. So like the healing of the deaf man, this one also involves a method that may sound unusual. For us today, Jesus spits into the man's eyes and lay his hand on him. Now, especially distinctive of this story and very significant in light of the whole scripture is the laying of hands, right? Even today, for us, it's very important and very significant. We ordain man to the ministry by laying our hands on, on him. Offices in the church. In the New Testament, the most common practice in healing was uh, by touching the person. Often described as laying, uh, laying hands on, on the person. They want to be healed. In the early church, we, we see that as well. 
as they were visiting sick people in their house, the elders would lay their hands on them while praying for their recovery. We saw Ananias laying his hand on Paul when Paul was blind. And Paul's hands, in turn, uh, became channel of amazing miracles. Now, in the Old Testament, laying on our hands accord exclusively for three purposes only. The first one is related to dedication, consecration, to set aside an ordinary thing, a person, for a holy usage. For instance, sacrifices. And the second one is related to the installation of Levites to the office of priests. Again, signifying consecration. The third one, as a means of blessing. We see that with uh, Isaac, uh, with Jacob. But there is only one example, instance, in the Old Testament where the laying on of the hands is related, linked with healing. You may remember um, the hope that uh, Naaman, the Syrian general, he had for receiving healing from leprosy at the hands of Elijah. Yet Elijah denied his request. But now Jesus is using the laying on of hands to heal this man. Jesus accepted the request and spits on the man's eyes and touches him. And yet, something unusual, unusual happened here. And the first thing unusual is that Jesus asked the man, "Do, do you see anything? Instead of affirming, go, you have been healed, you have been saved. Now, Jesus' question is very enigmatic. I, I, I can't imagine the disciples, how confused they were by Jesus' questions, as well as by the man's answer. I can't imagine Peter. Always Peter, right? Peter will look after me in heaven and say, man, you spoke a lot about me. But can you imagine, Peter, Jesus, why are you asking? Oh, just a minute, by the man. Are you, you don't you ask, you know that he... Jesus, your questions sometimes really freak me out. With the bleeding, the bleeding woman, who has touched me? Who has touched you? Everybody's touching you. And what about the man's answer? Look at verse 24. And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And then Peter again, no, no, you don't see trees. You see people. He's Jesus, man. Whole power, what are you talking about? Why are you lying? You see what you, I see. It's, it's a, tempta- a tempting uh, situation right now. But Peter stayed quiet. Everybody stayed quiet. Everybody, like, understands 
the situation being sensitive. I wish the Christian community was like that. Don't think that people believe just like you believe. We are all in a process here. Be patient. Trying to understand what people are seeing. Not just judge. You haven't got election yet? There's something wrong with you. No. We are growing in our understanding. And at this moment, Jesus himself could feel offended. What are you talking about? I just healed you. Tell the truth for everybody here. You are seeing people as people. No, Jesus stayed quiet. Very sensitive. Sensitive about the, the man's situation. Now, the reference to man like trees walking indicate that most likely the man had not been born blind. Person blind from birth do not have an exact idea of objects and cannot properly visualize a tree. On the other hand, an optical image become modified as blindness continues and the visualization of man under the trees or indicates that a man has been blind for a long period of time. And of course, another explanation is that the man had bumped into trees in his blindness and now he vaguely begun to see something like trees, trunks, walking around. Now, what we know for sure is that his statement implies that the cure was not complete. And that's the climax of this passage. And that Jesus was unsuccessful on the first attempt. And perhaps even more confusing for the disciple is the, necess the necessity of repeating the torch, which could apparently imply Jesus is losing his power. How many times they have seen Jesus performing more difficult miracles from a human perspective without fail? The healing of the demon-possessed man, the raising of Jairus' daughter. So this is the only healing that does not happen immediately. How are they supposed to comprehend it? At least the disciples did not verbalize any concerns or objections, as I would. And then verse 25, Then Jesus laid his hand on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. The Greek word for clear here literally means he saw clearly from afar, clear at at a distance. And the account concludes with Jesus sending the healed man home rather than back to the village. Verse 26, And he, Jesus, sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. It is clear that, once again, Jesus does not want the man to broadcast the miracle. Well, it's funny because we just saw the other guy being deaf, not being able to hear the gospel, 
And now he can, and Jesus say, don't say nothing. And now we see a blind guy seeing everything clearly, and now being able to broadcast the good news, and Jesus say, don't, 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 don't say nothing. Are you kidding? I've been blind for years. Now I see, I cannot say. Yes. It is not time yet. So like the disciple who might had asked themselves, though not in an audible way, in order to enrich ourselves, by this narrative, we also need to ask ourselves, how are we supposed to understand this passage? Why to stage miracle? It seems that a closer, as closer we get, more confusing we get. We need to step back to see the big picture or the greater purpose of this passage. Okay, let's go. Mark here strategically placed the healing, as you saw, of the deaf man and the blind man in parallel position in relation to the two feeding miracles. And it is almost certain that he regarded them as forming a pair to serve a greater purpose. Precise because Mark knows that both healing concerns healings Promised by the prophet Isaiah. Actually, Jesus quoted Isaiah in those miracles. Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The account of the healing of the blind man is entirely constructed on the motive of seeing. Unfortunately, our English translation fails, does not help us to see the emphasis on seeing. But in Greek, there are eight different words used for nine instances of seeing. In other words, there is this emphasis on sights and seeing which provides a counterplace a counterbalance to Jesus' ongoing accusation of his disciple blindness and misunderstanding. So the disciple is struggling for years. Can you not, not see? Are you blind? So here's the great example of what's going on in your life, disciples. These men personify who you are right now. The reality that Mark wants us to see is exactly what the disciples may have failed to see. That is, that the account of the healing of the blind man is obviously related to the disciples' blindness. And also related to our spiritual blindness today. So Mark strategically placed this enigmatic healing here as forming a pair with the healing of the deaf man because he knows Jesus is intentionally performing a two-stage healing to serve as a symbolism, a real-life parable of our gradual spiritual understanding. The disciples should have seen the blind man as a picture of themselves. As they were struggling to see Jesus for what he is. His mission. So their inability to understand 
Jesus' teaching. The disciples, like the blind man, have been taught by Jesus many times. They have received a preliminary understanding, and yet their spiritual insight was far from complete. They too needed a second touch, or a third one, or a fourth one, like we. But it, it wouldn't happen on their own way. The ability to see both physically and spiritually is a gift of God. Not a human ability. Jesus is intentionally performing a two-stage healing to personify a process of revelation as much as for the disciple as it is necessary for us today. So Jesus, Jesus' rebuke of Peter shows that Peter, like the blind man, had a spiritual sight but failed to see the true nature of Jesus' messianic role, mission. So the healing serves to introduce the whole central section of discipleship, which is the account of progression in our spiritual insights. The two-stage healing exemplify our situation as Jesus' followers. Our Christian walking, as we move through the same three stages in Mark, from non-understanding to misunderstanding, to complete understanding as God reveals it to us. Now, brothers and sisters, as our present understanding of God, as great as it is, cannot compare to the real thing that he is about to reveal to us on the other side of the glory. And as we await for the day, as we await for the day to have a fully understanding, we should keep Paul's words, 1 Corinthians, in mind. 13, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face, now in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. That's the goal. That's the end of the line. In other words, there is no retirement right now. Oh, I know enough. No, you don't. And also, this passage showed to us a very good example for loving one another, beginning inside of the church and extending this love outside of the church. Be sensitive to people's limitations. We better start to know, to have the interest, the desire to, to know one another better. And see how we can approach people, whether with a word of exhortation or encouragement. Be sensible. How in the world are you going to say to a woman who has been verbally abused or physically abused by her husband that God loves her? And then she's going to turn her back on you and you're going to say she doesn't want nothing with God. With... No. She has been, has been so hurt 
she cannot trust any other man, even God the Father. How are you going to approach a young woman being raped and say to her, you know, we have a loving father. And he, he was just raped by her father. How can you accommodate to people's ins, you know, physical limitation? Think about Jesus. Jesus, the incarnate God, he knew we were struggling to see him for what he is. So he became flesh. He, he took the gospel in his body. And that's what we need if you want to do discipleship, if we don't want to do evangelism, if we want to be a good shepherd. We need to be more sensitive. When I was five years old, my father was a musician. So many travels, concerts. And one day he left home and he said to my, my mom, don't let Eric to find my guitar or play with my guitar. I just bought the new strings. My mom, yeah, okay. But Eric was terrible. So as soon as my father left for his tours, I found his guitar and I started playing and I broke one of the strings. One month later, my father returned home. He steps inside our house. His first question was not, what is my son? What is my daughter's? I want to hug them. The question was, what is my guitar? My mom started trembling. Honey, I need to explain. No, what is my guitar? I need to explain something. Where is my guitar? So he opened the closet, found his guitar, opened the case, and saw that it was one str string broken. Who did that? The little boy, our son, I was sitting on the bed. He picked up the guitar, and he mirrored my, my head. Five years old, still clear in my mind. For a little time like this, he deviated from my head and exploded the guitar on the bed. Five years old. As a Christian, 21 years old, I committed one sin in my life that I shouldn't. Guess what I was expecting about from God? And people kept saying, God has forgiven you. No, he can't. He's going to find me and crash my, my, my head with his rod. It was tough to understand God's forgiveness because of my father. And I guess there are many people here who did struggle in the same way. So let's be sensitive to one another. Let's try to find the language that people speak because that's the way we're going to better show the love of God. Amen? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are a sensitive God. You found us in the way that we were broken. And then we are still broken. And every day we come to us in a way that we understand. Your touch, Lord, no one's touch us in the way you do. Help us learn to learn from you.
And what a, a visible uh, proof of your love for us. That you gave us Jesus. You didn't give only words. You gave your son in flesh, blood, suffering, sacrifice. Thank you so much for condescending to, to come to us to speak in the, as Calvin says, baby talking. Lord, we ask that you may help us to do the same in our community, in our family, with our spouse, with our kids, with our brothers and sisters, with those who have not put their trust to Jesus yet. Oh, Lord, help us to be more sensitive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.